Rebecca didn't want to do it, even though federal prosecutors asked her to give a victim's impact statement to the jurors who would decide the fate of the 2013 Marathon bomber. She still didn't really want to do it. In the end, however, this 28-year-old woman, whose left leg was amputated as a result of the blast, decided to, this was a chance to give the bomber this one simple message. You lost. You and your brother may have killed three and injured more than 260 with your bombs, but your cowardly actions unleashed a tidal wave of love for the survivors. You caused mass destruction, but you also brought people together. Nobody's going to remember your name or your brother's name. They're going to remember the survivors. Rebecca's son, Noah, was sitting at her feet when the bomb exploded. She suspects that if he would have been standing, he would have been killed. But since he was sitting, she served as a human shield, saving his life. Rebecca, like others who lost limbs and loved ones to the explosion, decided to give back. Her and her son gave presents to those who couldn't afford them. They also sold Rebecca Strong t-shirts to earthquake victims in Nepal. Five months after the explosion, Rebecca returned to the city to finish the 3.2 miles of the Boston Marathon that she couldn't do to the explosion. It was her first visit back to the city since the explosion. And although it was emotionally difficult, she decided that it was just one more step in putting the past behind her, as it was when she told the bomber that his plan to spread hate had failed. Rebecca learned the truth, that only a person who chooses to grow from the troubles can truly see that thorns are covered with roses. Nature and revelation alike testify of God's love. Our Father in heaven is the source of life, of wisdom, and of joy. Look at the wonderful and beautiful things of nature. Think of their marvelous adaptation to the needs and happiness, not only of man, but of all living creatures. The sunshine and the rain that gladden and refresh the earth. The hills and seas and plains all speak to us of the Creator's love. It is God who supplies the daily needs of all his creatures. In the beautiful words of the psalmist, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. God made man perfectly holy and happy, and the fair earth as it came from the creator's hand bore no blight of decay or shadow of the curse. It is transgression of God's law, the law of love, that has brought woe and death. Yet, even amidst the suffering that results from sin, God's love is revealed. It is written that God cursed the ground for man's sake. The thorn and the thistle, the difficulties and trials that make his life one of toil and care, were appointed for his good as part of the training needful in God's plan for his uplifting from the ruin and degradation that sin has wrought. The world, though fallen, is not all sorrow and misery. In nature itself are messages of hope and comfort. There are flowers upon the thistles, and the thorns are covered with roses. God is love is written upon every opening bud, upon every spire of spring grass. The lovely birds making the air vocal with their happy song. The delicately tinted flowers in their perfection perfuming the air. The lofty trees of their forest with their rich foliage of living green all testify to the tender fatherly care of our God and to his desire to make his children happy.
George was a kind and decent man. He just didn't believe all this incarnation stuff about God coming to earth as a man. It just didn't make sense to him. On Christmas Eve, he sadly told his wife he wouldn't be going with her to the Christmas Eve program. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite. He'd meant to stay at home anyways. He grabbed a newspaper and sat down in the chair. Soon, he heard a thumping noise on the, on the door. Thump, thump, thump. He walked to the door expecting carolers, but found a flock of baby birds flying helplessly in the snow. He thought to himself, I can't just let them die here flying around helplessly. So he went out back to the barn and turned the light on. He shooed the birds toward the barn, but they wouldn't move. So he decided to grab breadcrumbs and sprinkle them toward the barn. As he did that, they still wouldn't move and kept flying around. As he noticed, he realized that they were scared of him. He realized that he wished he could be a bird so he could show them the cozy, warm barn and it was a safe place. At that moment, he heard the church bells ring. He realized the message of a savior, the me- why God had come and endured the sin for us. At that moment, George sank to his knees. In my life, I've been the birds not wanting to follow. But Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Know that I am God. It is so, so we can know the infinite love of God. God has bound our hearts to him by unnumbered tokens in heaven and in earth. Through the things of nature and the deepest and tenderest earthly ties that human hearts can know, he has sought to reveal himself to us. Yet Yet these but imperfectly represent his love. Though all this evidence has been given, the enemy of good blinded the minds of men so that they looked upon God with fear. They thought of him as severe and unforgiving. Satan led men to conceive of God as a being whose chief attribute is stern justice, one who is a severe judge, a harsh, exacting creditor. He pictured the creator as a being who is watching with a jealous eye to discern the errors and mistakes of men that he may visit judgment upon them. It was to remove this dark shadow by revealing to the world the infinite love of God that Jesus came to live among men. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by Satan. There were whole villages where there was not one moan of sickness in any house, for he had passed through them and healed all their sick. His work gave evidence of his divine anointing. Love, mercy, and compassion were revealed in every act of his life. His heart went out in tender sympathy to the children of men. He took man's nature that he might reach man's wants. The poorest and humblest were not afraid to approach him. Even the little children were attracted to him. They loved to climb upon his knees and gaze into the pensive face, benignant with love. The famous Scottish preacher, John Harper, became so well-known that he was invited to speak all the way in America. He brought along his sister and six-year-old daughter, but the ship they went on was the Titanic. When it began to sink, John Harper immediately started to preach to anyone who would listen. He got his sister and daughter onto a lifeboat as quickly as he could and found himself moments later in the ice-cold water with nothing but a life jacket. He looked for somebody to continue preaching to, and when he found someone, he asked him, Are you saved? The man said, No, I am not saved. John Harper responded, saying, Believe in the Lord, and you will be saved. 
He took off his life jacket and threw it to somebody who didn't have one, saying, you need it more than I do. Moments later, John Harper disappeared beneath the water, never to be seen or heard from again. Four years later, at the reunion for the survivors of the Titanic, a witness stood up to speak. He said that he was saved by John Harper, who was the man whom John Harper had told to believe to be saved, and so he was. Everybody was amazed, of course, but how could he do it? Sure, he was a preacher, but still he was in the face of certain death, but continued preaching the gospel. A friend of his said he was a man who craved for souls, and for those souls he would sometimes spend entire nights in prayer for. It is in the study of God's word and prayer that the streams of divine compassion manifest in Christ flow out to the children of men. John Harper's burden for the lost and his ultimate sacrifice for them helped me to better understand Christ's heart of compassion for me. John Harper didn't sugarcoat the situation. He asked the only question that really mattered, getting straight to the point. Are you saved? Jesus did not suppress one word of truth, but uttered it always in love. He exercised the greatest tact and thoughtful, kind attention in his intercourse with the people. He did not, he was never rude, never needlessly spoke a severe word, never gave needless pain to a sensitive soul. He did not censure human weakness. He spoke the truth, but always in love. He denounced hypocrisy, unbelief, and iniquity, but tears were in his voice as he uttered the scathing rebukes. He wept over Jerusalem, the city he loved, which refused to receive him, the way, the truth, and the life. They rejected him, the Savior, yet he regarded them with pitying tenderness. His life was one of self-denial and thoughtful care for others. While he ever bore himself with divine dignity, he bowed with the deepest regard to every member of the family of God. In all men, he saw fallen souls whom it was his mission to save. Such is the character of Christ as revealed in his life. This is the character of God. It is from the Father's heart that the streams of divine compassion manifest in Christ flow out to the children of men. Jesus, the tender, pitying Savior, is God manifest in the flesh. It was to redeem us that Jesus lived and suffered and died. He became a man of sorrows that we might be made partakers of everlasting joy. God permitted his beloved Son, full of grace and truth, to come from a world of indescribable glory to a world marred and blighted with sin, a world darkened by the shadow of death and the curse. He permitted him to leave the bosom of his love, the adoration of the angels, to suffer shame, insult, humiliation, hatred, and death. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Behold him in the wilderness, in Gethsemane, upon the cross. The spotless Son of God took upon himself the burden of sin. He who had been one with God felt in his soul the awful separation that sin makes between God and man. This wrung from his lips the anguished cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was the burden of sin, the sense of its terrible enormity, of its separation of the soul from God. It was this that broke the heart of God.
They were just boarding the boat when the, sh when the news came in. The news of the submarine. Four military chaplains who had met and become fast friends during basic training and were now on their way to their first assignment in Europe. The Coast Guard sonar had picked up a submarine on their, on their route. <laughs> and the captain gave specific orders for everyone to sleep with a life jacket on and their clothes nearby so they wouldn't freeze. But some people near the extreme heat of the engine room disregarded this order. It was 1 a.m. when the torpedo hit, knocking the electricity out so there was no lights. The lower deck slipped into chaos. The four chaplains being on that deck started working right away to organize everyone and to get everyone to safety. They were just getting off when four new people came, saying that they had lost their life jackets and couldn't find them. They gave up their life jackets and their lives for those four men. One of them, Grady Clark, was swimming away, when, and he said that the last thing he saw of their ship was the hull slip up in the air and sink with the four chaplains on board, singing and praying for the safety of the men. Just like the four chaplains, God gave up his life jacket for us by dying on the cross. He makes it very e easy for us. All he expects us to do is reach out and take the life jacket. But this great sacrifice was not made in order to create in the Father's heart a love for man, not to make him willing to save. No, no. God shall love the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Father loves us not because of the great propitiation. He provided the propitiation because he loves us. Christ was the medium through which he could pour his infinite love upon a fallen world. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. God suffered with his Son in the agony of Gethsemane, the death of Calvary. The heart of infinite love paid the price of our redemption. Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. That is... My Father has so loved you that he even loves me more for giving my life to redeem you. In becoming your substitute and surety, by surrendering my life, by taking your liabilities, your transgressions, I am endeared to my Father. Only he who knew the height and the depth of the love of God could make it manifest. Nothing less than the infinite sacrifice made by Christ in behalf of a fallen man could express the Father's love to lost humanity. God was to identify himself with the interests and needs of humanity. He who was one with God has linked himself with children by ties that are never to be broken. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brethren. He is our sacrifice, our advocate, our brother, bearing our human forms before the Father's throne. In three eternal ages, one with the race, he has redeemed the Son of Man. And all this that men might be uplifted from the ruin and degradation of sin, that he might reflect the love of God and share the joy of holiness. Things were not going well for Cassie. 
As she entered the ninth grade, her mother said, I had a gut feeling something was wrong. I couldn't pinpoint it, but I just knew something was wrong. I didn't feel like I nor my husband had any connection with her. Desperate for answers, she began to search Cassie's room on a regular basis. And she was shocked to find out on one occasion that her daughter had developed an interest in drugs, witchcraft, and alcohol. They decided, together they decided that the only way that Cassie was to take responsibility for her life was to start making some good decisions for her. For starters, they transferred her to a new school in the suburbs. They also, they also kept closer tabs on her friends and her study habits. One of those new friends was Pastor McPherson, their youth, their youth pastor at their community church. One weekend, pastor, that pastor told a news reporter that when he first saw Cassie, he thought there's no hope for her. The monosyllabic speech that comes from her lips, the joyless expression on her face, everything pointed toward Cassie, that Cassie was just too far gone. One weekend, however, he had invited her to go on a youth retreat. That weekend changed Cassie's life. When she got back, her, she told her mother that, I've changed, I've totally changed. You're not going to believe it, but I'll prove it to you. That The light that had been turned on in 17-year-old Cassie's life was the light of Jesus that she trusted as her personal savior at that church retreat. Jesus changed Cassie from the inside out. Gone was the preoccupation with the occult, and now she spent her time set, er, spe- giving food to dinner, dinner to drug addicts and prostitutes as a part of the Victoria Outreach Church's ministry. One night, Cassie spoke of her newfound salvation to her mother. She said, Mom, it'd be okay if I died. She went on to assure her salvation. On Sunday night, April 18, Cassie stood up and gave her testimony to her youth group at church. She told them, you really can't live without Christ. It's like impossible to have a true life without him. No one knew how precious these testimonies would be to her family and friends. You see, that new church, that new school she went to was Columbine High School in Colorado. Two days after Cassie gave her testimony, she was sitting at the library at school when Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris burst into the room with homemade pipe bombs and guns. As he pointed the gun towards her, he asked her, Do you believe in God? Her friend Kevin later said that there was a long pause. I think she knew she was going to, di- to die. Finally, the response came, Yes, I believe in God. The trigger was pulled. The price paid for our redemption, the infinite sacrifice of our Heavenly Father in giving His Son to die for us, should give us exalted conceptions of what we may become through Christ. As the inspired Apostle John beheld the height, depth, and breadth of the Father's love towards the perishing race, he was filled with adoration and reverence. And, failing to find suitable language in which to express the greatness and tenderness of this love, he called upon the world to behold it. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. What a value this places upon man. Through transgression, the sons of man become subjects of Satan. Through faith in the atoning sacrifice of Christ, the sons of Adam may become the sons of God. By assuming human nature, Christ elevates humanity. Such love is without parallel. Children of the heavenly king, precious promise, theme for the most profound meditation, the matchless love of God for a world that did not love him. The thought has a subduing power upon the soul and brings the mind into captivity to the will of God.
The more we study the divine character and the light of the cross, the more we see mercy, tenderness, and forgiveness blended with equity and justice, and the more clearly we discern innumerable evidences of a love that is infinite. Cassie's life ended far too soon, but not before she gained an exalted conception of what we may become through Christ. Cassie's story grown in just a few months, may have done more for Christ's kingdom than most could do in a lifetime. Then for our closing song.
quickly bow your heads as I pray our closing prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for the many blessings you pour out to us every day, Lord. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that you give an outpouring of your Holy Spirit so that we may become closer to you and so that we may be great witnesses for you, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. As my team picks up the supplies down below and gets ready at the doors to greet you, you may have a seat just for a moment. The last message of mercy to be given to this world is to be a revelation of God's character of love. This morning, we hope that your heart and mind have seen just a little, a little more glimpse of that than you have in the past. And now, we'd like to invite you to do the natural thing that happens when you perceive God's love, and that is to share it with someone else. We shared with you from Steps to Christ this morning. We have with us Steps to Jesus, which takes the these and thous out and makes it a little bit easier reading. We have just a few of the old version of Steps to Christ, if there are those that prefer that. And we have El Camino a Cristo in Spanish for those that prefer. Here is our challenge to you this morning. We invite you to take one copy, one per person, your family is fine. Pray over it this week. Allow God to place someone in your path that needs to receive it from you. And then come back to here or to your church family and share what God did. Give your testimony of what he's done in allowing you to take his grace to someone else this week. May God be with you in the week ahead.